0: The text for the sermon this day is taken from Matthew 14, and if you'd like to follow along in, actually encourage you to follow along in your pew Bible, and so it is on page 975 in this one. And by the way, if you ever want to bring your own Bible, feel free to bring your own Bible and make use of that. Um, And I would say you can use your phone, but if you're going to use your phone, make sure it's actually for the Bible, not catching up on YouTube or whatever, or Facebook. So, but we're going to be at verse 22 of chapter 14. So right at 975, page 975. And again, the, advanced, the nice thing about going using the Bible, using a physical Bible, is you have everything laid out right before you. Everything laid out so you can see the full context of what you are reading. So for last week, for those who were not able to be here, we were we heard about we talked about the feeding of the five thousand. Jesus feeding the five thousand immediately following the death of John the Baptist, which is kind of an indication for you that this was basically the funeral for John the Baptist, because Jesus was invoking Psalm twenty three. There is a big meal. And there is a sermon and everything like that. So, for those of you who have ever been involved with a funeral, you prepared one for maybe your, and I'm not talking about like you work for the funeral home, or in my case, capacity as a pastor. I mean, where it was your family. Like you, for a parent, or a sibling, or something like, or a spouse. It's very, very exhausting. It's physically exhausting because you spend so much time planning for the funeral, making sure that you have enough food, and you're preparing, you know, the display. You're going through all their stuff to figure out what to be put out for the funeral, especially for the visitation. And then at the visitation, it's just kind of mentally draining because you're greeting people person after person after person. And some people are like, oh, I haven't seen this person in such a long time. And another person might be like hey i haven't seen you in a long time And you're like yeah then you're like who is this person so in the last year and a half as many of you know i've had this experience a couple times but it's mo- mentally exhausting and it's emotionally exhausting because you're going through that period of saying goodbye to someone you love and you hold dear and so you understand it's very exhausting. And so they just got done with the funeral for John the Baptist, which means the disciples are exhausted. And remember, this was a funeral that was basically over 5,000 people. So that's a very big funeral. And so it's really interesting. This is one of those things where it's helpful when you read your Bible to actually slow down in your reading and pay attention to the words. Because it says, verse 22, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Very intriguing choice of word. Made the disciples get into the boat. He didn't say, you know, guys, I hope you get into the boat. It wasn't a suggestion, it wasn't a consideration, it wasn't a favor. He made them get in. Why? Because they needed to rest. By the way, there's two reasons. The first reason, they needed to rest. They just had a very long day. And of course, Jesus himself would take time for his own rest. But he is making sure they rest. A very simple lesson to all of us. Because we as Americans kind of pride ourselves on being busy all the time. But in reality, busyness is not a marker of success. We think it is, but it isn't. You actually do need to take time to rest, to relax. When I was in seminary, it was something that was lectured to us by our professors. Protect your time off. Take vacations. And there's actually, and actually that's one of the duties of elders is to make sure that the pastor's taking care of himself. Because you'll find that most pastors tend towards workaholism. Because pastors love, love the Word of God, and they love the people to whom they are called to serve, and they want to keep doing it. They want to keep doing it and doing it, but guess what? When you're burned out, you're not good to anybody. And so that's why it's really stressed on us. Take your time off. And so that's the job of an elder, to make sure the pastors are doing their, taking their time off. And see, there's actually, I've heard of churches where the pastor, if he doesn't take vacations, the elders will confront him and say, take some time off. In other words, they're supposed to do what Jesus did, make them rest. And by the way, that's not just the pastors, that's literally to everyone. Take your rest. Take your Sabbaths. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, so the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, so that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. Very appropriate reaction for them. They're on the Ga- Sea of Galilee. The storm is brewing, and they can't quite see clearly. And the Sea of Galilee has a history of being haunted, and a lot of legends and ghost stories with them. And so naturally, they see a person walking on water, and it is not Iowa in January. You know, you're going to think it's a ghost. And so they're terrified. They're freaking out. I mean, how would you react? If you're out in the middle of Lake Okanagan and it's the wind is howling and the rain is pouring and you see somebody walking on water, you're going to be you're going to be scared. But immediately verse 27, Jesus spoke to them saying, "Take heart. It is I do not be afraid. The English kind of loses the force of what Jesus did, what he said. The Greek words right there, it is ego eimi. And I bet you all know what that means. But I'm guessing more likely that's Greek to you. Ha, huh. nice little pun. But ego eimi it literally means I am who I am. Sound familiar? Take heart, it is. Take heart. I am who I am. Do not be afraid. The very same words that God said to Moses from the burning bush. In other words, Jesus is claiming the divine name for Himself. He is calling Himself God. And Peter answered him. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked in the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. So note that one of the things is when we're reading through the Bible, and I mentioned about earlier, The importance of slowing down and paying attention. Many people kind of get this idea that they want to read through the entire Bible once a year, which is a good idea if you are a fast reader. If you are not a fast reader and have a high reading comprehension, it's not as good of a practice as you think because it's not easy to really focus on the words. Instead, I would say read the Bible in three years. Spread it out. Slow it down. And I say this because in this context, you just read he walked on water. Our image sometimes is, oh, he took, he took one or two steps and that was it. But if he only took one or two steps, when he began to drown, he could have just jumped onto the boat and been fine. He didn't do that. In fact, and remember, Jesus is far enough out that they're not 100%. It's him. And so, he is walking to him for for a decent distance. And that's kind of something you lose in that context. And then it says that he saw the wind. Again, this is one of those things, you blaze through it, you miss the key word. Saw. He didn't feel the wind. He didn't notice the wind. He saw it. If he's seeing the wind, who is he not seeing? Jesus. His eyes were on the wind, and it's and this is the second reason they were made to go into the boat. The second reason was because they had a pop quiz coming, and like a pop, as a, the nature of a pop quiz, you don't know it's coming. They were being tested. The word wind. The Greek word for win is animos. You can hear the English word in it, animosity. In other words, it refers to a harassing win. See, the disciples, Jesus knew that they were going to be assaulted. They were going to be challenged. They're going to be hated. They're going to be ridiculed because they confessed Jesus is the Christ. This was putting them to the test. And it's a test that is for you as well. Because the reality is, is the devil does not like you. And the devil has a goal when it comes to you. He has three goals. His number one goal is to take you down into the pits of hell with him. So he wants to destroy your faith. Or keep others from ever having faith. Two, if he can't do that he's hoping he could use you to destroy the faith of others. Or three, he is hoping that he could keep you from being a threat to him. Keep you from living and talking about your faith. In other words, to keep you from being what exactly a disciple is. And so he does this through many ways. For the disciples, it was indeed persecution. The disciples, every single one of them, were hated. Every single one of them were beaten. And every single one of them, with the exception of John, were executed for confessing that Jesus rose from the dead. And so that was there. That is how the devil went after them. And so he did for many, many Christians. He still does for Christians. In the world today, there are many countries around the world right now that it is illegal to be a Christian, punishable by death. On average, every single day, 11 Christians die somewhere in the world because they are a Christian. So there are people that live that reality. And there are some who live in the reality that being a Christian, confessing, To an Orthodox, a a conservative Christianity, will invite ridicule and mockery. That's one way the devil works. Another way that the devil works is he likes to use the world against you. He will hit you with sickness. He will make you sick, he will make someone else sick, and he will absolutely burden you To the point that he's hoping that you'll be sitting there saying, God, why do you afflict me? Why do you allow this to happen? He wants you to get so focused on your illness, so focused on whatever somebody is suffering through, he does not want your eyes upon Jesus and the cross. Which, by the way, that Old Testament reading from Job, where God just keeps on saying, where were you? Where were you? That is God responding to Job saying, why are you letting these bad things happen to me? And he's saying, you don't know nothing. You don't know Jack, Job. And neither do we. But we do know that is his love. The devil wants you to question the love of Christ as you suffer. He does not want you to ever look at that and see that's how he's loved you. He loves to tempt you with sin. And he's working in all different kinds of sin. And every single person has their own vice. And he's hoping that maybe he could use it to drag you down, or he could make sure it's the right sin that could drag others down. And they'll say, see those Christians, look at how they live. And by the way, one of the ones he loves to use is to get us convinced that we are not so bad. To get us convinced that we are the righteous. We're doing it right. Because if he could get us so convinced that we are perfect, that we are flawless, that when we, or get us acting like it, when we fall, when we fail, people will look, see, you Christians are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Which, by the way, the answer to that is, yep, we are. That's why we need Jesus. But then there is another way the devil loves to work. And this one is really common. So, here in Ida Grove, we live in a county where the majority of the population at least identifies as Christian. Now, the activity of our, the Christian faith is another question. But most identify. So you're not likely to experience persecution in Ida Grove. At least not anytime soon. But do you know what the devil does love to do? To keep you so busy that you, don't have, you think you don't have time for Christ. He wants you focusing on everything that's going on in your life, constantly going and burning both ends of the candle, going and going and going, and eventually he gets you to think, Well, you know what? I just don't have time to pray to God. But you had time to watch Netflix or Disney+, Plus, or cycle through Facebook, you don't have time for prayer? I don't have time to read the Bible. But you had time for all these other things that are really not essential. And, what, and the thing is, is when we get so busy, he gets you convinced that the first thing to shave off the schedule of your life is your faith, your devotion to God. He convinces you that's the expendable thing. That's the non-essential part of your life. But in reality, it should be the very last thing that ever gets shaved out. The very last thing that is cut out. But the devil wants you busy. He wants your kids busy. Because the thing is, is if you are so busy that you don't have time for God's word, he may not be able to destroy your faith, But, something he knows, if he keeps your kids long enough away from Christ, when they go off to college, where a majority of whom are not Christian, they will not be the least bit of a threat there. They should be going as missionaries, well equipped to bring the gospel, to bring the hope of Christ. But they'll come unarmed. That's what the devil wants. If he can't drag you down, he will make sure that you do nothing to keep someone else from being dragged down. He doesn't want you a threat. He wants you focusing on everything but Jesus. But notice what Peter did when he began to sink. Again, he said, Lord, what did he say? Lord Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and said, nope, you didn't believe in me before. No, he doesn't say that. He says, it says, and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Which, by the way, actually, even more literally in the Greek, it just says, oh, little faith. Jesus called Peter a name here. Three times he calls Peter a name within like two chapters. This is name number one. The next one's going to be where he calls him Peter, and then he's going to soon call him Satan. So Peter's is going to be in a really bad route right now. But, oh little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. But no, he didn't say, oh, little faith, I'm going to just let you keep drowning. No, he grabbed hold of him. And by the way, did the storm calm when, when he saved Peter? No, the storm was still going. The storm did not stop until he got into the boat. And in other words, you call upon Jesus. And that's, you actually have already done that this morning. When we, you confessed your sins, that was you saying, Lord, save me from my sin, Save me from my wretchedness. And I, standing here with this green stole, just as any pastor has ever gone through this congregation, they wear this stole to remind you that the pastor is just a part of the furniture. He's replaceable. And a reminder that no matter who is standing up here, when you hear... That you are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The pastor is the instrument. God is the one who speaks through him. And no matter who that may be, you hear that your sins are forgiven. They are indeed forgiven. And where there is forgiveness, there is salvation. He answers your cry for help. He answers your help for salvation. And he doesn't take you out of this world right away. You are still in this world where the devil is still assaulting you. The devil is still attacking you in many and various ways. And sometimes you'll pray for him, to him when you're sick. And he may make you better. Or somebody you love will be made better. Or sometimes he'll keep going. But he's still, he still has you life. He still has you by the hand. He's still leading you and guiding you. Because did the storm go forever? No, it stops. The sickness will end. Sin will end. Death will end. Just as it did when the storm ended when they entered into the boat. Look to him. As the devil comes after you. As the world assaults you. And even, by the way... Luther always said there's three sources of temptation. The devil, the world, and do you know who's number three? Sinful nature. It's more the sinful nature is more specifically me. Not me, me. I'm well, I can be. But now is you are a sinful, the source of your own temptation. I am a source of my own temptation. And in each case. As we wrestle with sin, as we wrestle with the world, we call to Him, Lord, save me. He hears. He answers. He saves. And there's one final way the devil likes to attack. And pastors know this pretty well. When I was on vicarage, one of my past, my senior past, my supervisor pastor, he had gotten a call from an individual. And he said he had been in a prison for many years and he got to know an LCMS prison chap. And he said, Hey, I'm trying to get from I'm trying to get from Arizona to Lake Oconee area in Florida or in Georgia, because that's where we were, and we are going and I just need some money to get there. And so we wired him money through Walmart. We never heard from that guy again. But about a month or two later, I got an email from the, the, the Synod. And it said, several churches hit by this guy saying that he is from various states. And he got to know a chaplain, an LCMS chaplain. The story was exactly the same, in just a different state. In other words, yep, yeah, he's us. The reality, people will use Christ to attack. They'll claim to be Christian. They will claim to bear the gospel. But in fact, they are are wolves in sheep clothing. When you get attacked by false Christianity, do not let that destroy your faith. Don't let that destroy your desire for love and compassion. Yes, you learn from it. Jesus even told you that we are to be as innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. So yes, still be loving and compassionate, but we're also wise. And remember, the sinfulness of man is not Christ. Don't look to to any human for your hope. Always keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you're looking on anybody, If they are truly a Christian, they're going to say, stop looking at me. Look at him. He is your hope. In Jesus' name, amen.